Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. Good morning. I'm Pastor Randy Lovelace, the Zacchaeus of the church. So, wait, wait a second. That could be really weird for a minute. Oh, anyway, great to have you. I'm lead pastor Randy Lovelace, and it's great to be here this morning. I want to welcome all those who are joining us via the live stream, those who are outside, and all of you inside. It is uh, great to see you this morning as we begin this Holy Week, and it is the beginning of a descent. We don't wait to Good Friday to consider the descent, the humbling and humiliation of Jesus. In the most public way, it begins today. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. The way of the Lamb. This morning's passage is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. Here, disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that had been cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful passage. And for many of us, it is quite familiar. We ask, Lord, that by your Spirit, that even in the midst of the familiarity, you would teach us something of Jesus. To awaken our hearts, to open our minds, to expand our imagination of who Jesus is and what he has come to do and how we as a people are called to respond to Jesus. Father, I pray for those who do not know you, those who are skeptical, those who find themselves back in church again wondering if they could ever return. And for those who believe, Father, please work in us. Help us to see him. Amen. It was in the fall of 2001, Kate and I had moved with our daughter Caroline to uh, Montclair, New Jersey, just outside of New York City. We had planted the church uh, in Montclair, and our first service was the same Sunday that you opened this building. It was the Sunday after 9-11. But weeks and weeks after that, 
the, the region of evening, it was just a random evening. I don't even remember what day of the week it was, but we had not been living uh, in our rental house very long, but we needed something from Home Depot. And so I needed to run over to Home Depot. So I went over to Home Depot. I pull in there, okay, no Google, no smartphones, nothing. It's so all I had was a cell phone. And I pull into the parking lot and now I'm a boy from the Carolinas, so I'd never spent any time at all around Orthodox Jewish communities. And the entire parking lot was full of Orthodox Jewish fathers and their sons with their prayer uh, tags and shawls and hats, and they were all carrying wood. I had no idea what was happening. And I said, this, this, is, this is remarkable. So I need to find out what's going on. So being ignorant as I was, I called Kate and I said, can you please turn on the news? Because there are a lot of Orthodox Jews at Home Depot carrying wood around. And I have a feeling if something's going on, they know what's going on. I don't know why I thought that, but I thought it. So I called her, she turned on the news. There was nothing going on. I said, man, I need to find out what's going on. So I walk into Home Depot full of all these Orthodox Jewish fathers and their sons all carrying lots of wood. And I finally went up to the cash register and and I just turned to this father and I said, please excuse me, can you explain to me why everybody's carrying wood? And he said to me, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. And I was like, oh, of course. I thought that was a different time of year all tabernacles, small huts in their backyard, and there they would read the Torah and they would celebrate what is customary to an Orthodox Jewish community. And so I was like, wow, I clearly was in the middle of a place that I was familiar with, but completely unaware of what was happening around me. Have you been in that kind of situation? I would suggest we're in that situation was happening. And so this morning, I want to share with you three observations about this passage. And then three questions for us to consider. The first observation I want you to be aware of is this. Jesus, in his coming to Jerusalem in the way that he did, was redefining the contemporary understanding and definition of power. Because those palm branches that were being waved likely were in hand, not awaiting his coming, but were a part of the Feast of Tabernacles. And there was something else happening that same week, because Jesus wasn't the only one who was coming to Jerusalem. The other would have been Pilate. Now, Jesus, according to the passage, is coming from the Mount of Olives, which would have been from the east. Caesarea was from an opposite direction. So Pilate was coming from Caesarea, and he was coming along with his military garrison to build up the military protection within the city of Jerusalem to remind the conquered nation of Israel, you better behave. And so he would have come with a war horse and all the pageantry of his position of power. Jesus, on the other hand, comes from the opposite direction and he would have been weeping or just after he was weeping as he saw the donkey. 
So I don't know how familiar you are with horses. You don't have to go very far around here to see what a racehorse might look like. They're beautiful, majestic creatures. Jesus was on the foal of a donkey, a young donkey that would never have been ridden before, according to Zechariah chapter 9. And Jesus, even riding it, very light, very action, was redefining power as it was understood. As one writer says it this way, it is implicit in Mark's telling and more explicit in Matthew's that Zechariah said that the king would come to Jerusalem, to Zion, from the Mount of Olives, humble and riding on a colt. Pilate's procession embodied the power, glory, and violence of the empire and of the state and of one who claimed to be the son of God. And yet Jesus as the savior would have come as the Lord entering into a very different kind of kingdom. The one with power and pageantry claiming a false title, one to be worshiped and honored, Caesar. Jesus would have come not with the pageantry, as the Son of God, in a very different way. With this as an idea, I wonder why it is we find it so hard to grapple with this passage. Because do you know, we now call it the triumphal entry because of what we knew and know happened at the end of the week, the resurrection of the dead and Jesus being the firstborn from among the dead, victorious over sin and death. But that's what we know now as we look back. That's not what marked it. He was not coming in triumph. He was coming in weakness. And he was coming as one who humbled himself what a difference that is. The one who was coming as a triumphal entry was Pilate. The one who claimed to have power. But the real, where Jesus would have been coming from would have been an 18-mile walk. It's at the end of the day. And we note by the passage that by the time Jesus comes into the city and makes his way to the temple, takes a look around and leaves, the only people with him are his disciples. And what I want to encourage you to do is not to read back into the passage what they would not have recognized. The group shouting Hosanna, we now see that as a proclamation of the one who is worthy of glory and honor and splendor and might. Hosanna in the highest. But that was just a religious saying. They would have said that to a regular rabbi who was making his way to Jerusalem. They were not recognizing Jesus' glory and power clothed in weakness. No. They were just giving a welcome, y'all. Great to have you. Because they didn't stick around with him. If he really was all that, they would have stuck with him. Not because they were rejecting him. They were just walking him into the city. But Jesus knew. And by the end of the day, he's by himself with his disciples. And they go back to Bethany. Jesus came to redefine power. Are we ready for that redefinition? 
Second observation. Jesus comes in weakness to serve and to save those who would reject, who would mock, who would spit on him. Jesus shall be his name, for he shall save his people from their sins. But those people that are represented in us did not receive him, but rejected him. And yet Jesus, in weakness, he comes into the city as a foreshadow. Give them, Father, for they know not what they do. Jesus came to serve the weak things by the way of weak things to expose the false power that the world wants, the false strength of might and of position, of leverage, of money, of aspiration, of success. And he comes in service. Frederick Nietzsche said these words, I teach the no to all that makes weak, that exhausts, and I teach the yes to all that strengthens, that stores up strength, that justifies the feeling of strength. And as one writer responds, we say no to weakness as a people and yes to strength. The idea that weakness could be good, let alone accepted reality, is absolutely the opposite most of the time of our vision of happiness and joy and success. Nietzsche said, everything done in weakness fails. Thanks be to God, he was wrong. But do we believe it? We if you are a believer, have capitulated to the power definition, the strength definition, as the way to live, as opposed what Jesus does is he serves in weakness to save the lost. Third observation. Jesus judge the unrighteous use of power by the religious authorities in Jerusalem, but he doesn't do it in hate. He does it in love, in telling the truth. But what's interesting is that Jesus comes in love even in the face of those who would hate him and reject him. And when he comes in love, he seeks to pour out even the truth in his love that he might redeem those who are in need, the broken. Which means at the center of the Christian faith requires, as I've said a couple weeks ago to a group of folks gathered in this church, that faith in Jesus inherently is a power encounter. Am I willing to give up my power 
my definition of success to get on my knees before Jesus and say, forgive me, Father, primus sinner, in need of grace. It is laying aside our definitions before the one who came to us, not in hate, but in love. And it is his kindness that draws us to repentance. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote these words, hate is a cancerous disease which distorts the personality and scars the soul. To return hate for hate only intensifies the existence of hate in the universe. Hate seeks to annihilate rather than convert. It destroys community and makes brotherhood impossible. We must learn that it is possible to places and positions of power or any inner feelings of hate. Jesus was greeted with rejection and hate, denial and a false trial. Yet he comes in love to pour it out and into you and to me. And what he pours into us, he intends and designs by his spirit and word that we would be a people who pour it out. So three questions. First, Jesus chose to come as a servant. If our Savior, the Redeemer of our souls, came as a servant, how should that shape our vision as a church? Said another way, how could our vision be reshaped into the image of who Jesus is? If he came as a servant, what difference does it make to the way in which we serve this community, serve one another and the world around us? Second question. Jesus, the texts tell us from Putty, which we will celebrate in the supper in a moment, his blood, which will be poured out in the metaphor of symbol of wine, he gave and sacrificed himself to bring repair to sinners. If that is so, then what does sacrifice time of our resources to bring repair relationally, practically, emotionally? What does that look like for us and for you? Third question, Jesus in his weakness, in coming as a servant, redefining power and turning it upside of the world so that he might give himself for the broken in sin. Here's the question then. Have we as a people loved power and ignored the broken.
Have we sought or believed inherently somewhere that the church or the individual Christian is powerless to bring about good things and beauty through the love of Jesus in the world, and we believe that the church and a Christian is powerless to do so, so we turn to the power of the world and we baptize it in the hopes that it can bring change in the world. Jesus would say, absolutely not. He came in weakness, in love, in humility to form a people, the church, the called out ones to trust that the way of his love, the way of his sacrifice, the way of his service is the way to bring about restoration and repair. And it begins with each individual person who calls on the name of Jesus and it simply starts with the relationships around you. It starts with the neighborhood, the street that you... Who is that person going about in anger and anxiety and hatred? And how can you pray for them? How can you, instead of returning hate and rejection for hate and rejection... If Jesus has poured out his love in us, what does it look like to give it away? That was the third question with a whole lot of other questions. This morning, and we come to the table. We come to one who is clothed in weakness, who came as a servant to serve and not to be served. To bring about truth through the power of his love, to bring forgiveness of sins, restoration of our relationship with the Heavenly Father, to pour out his love and glory into his church that we might seek to turn to one another and to the world to say, Lord, what does service, what does sacrifice, what does loving the broken look like? May the Lord help us and may he give us a vision as a church to be reshaped in the image of Jesus for his glory and the kingdom of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are the cornerstone of our faith. You are the redeemer who came not in a Bentley You came on a donkey. You came to love and to die that the broken and sinners might know grace and love and repair. Lord, what difference does that make for your church? What difference does that make for us as a people? May be poured out into the world around us for the glory and for the true Hosanna in the highest to Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.